Our Old Testament passage today picks up in Genesis chapter 38, verse 1. It happened at that time that Judah, this is one of the twelve brothers, went down from his brothers and turned aside to a certain Adulamite, whose name was Hira. There Judah saw the daughter of a certain Canaanite, whose name was Shua. He took her and went into her. All right, so this he just went and had sex. So th- this is not good sex. This is immoral sex, all right? She conceived, so this is sexual immorality. She conceived and bore a son, and he called his name Ur. She conceived again and bore a son, and she called his name Onan. And yet again she bore a son, and she called his name Shelah. Judah was in Chezeb when she bore him. Now, I want you to notice, you know, here's a guy who just takes a woman, has sex with her, they start bearing children, and again, she's the daughter of a certain Canaanite. Now, Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Ur's Judah's firstborn was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord put him to death. Now, there's one of those verses with question marks next to it. He was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord put him to death. At what age? I don't know. What were his wickednesses? I don't know. Then Judah said to Onan, Go into your brother's wife and perform the duty of a brother-in-law to her and raise up offspring for your brother. It was the custom of the people in that day that if your brother died, the the brother would go have sex with the brother's wife and have a child, and that would carry on the family name. Then Judah said to Onan, Go into your brother's wife and perform the duty of a brother-in-law to her and raise up offspring for your brother. But Onan knew that the offspring would not be his. So whenever, all right, so we're talking about multiple, Whenever he went into his brother's wife, he would waste his semen on the ground so as not to give offspring to his brother. So he was enjoying the sex, but he just wasn't doing what he was supposed to do. And what he did was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and he put him to death also. He said, you're just going in and being sexually immoral. You know, you were supposed to do this one time and be done with it, but now you got sexual immorality going on here. Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Remain a widow in your father's house till Shelah, my son, grows up, for he feared that he would die like his brothers. So Tamar went and remained in her father's house. In the course of time, the wife of Judah, Shua's daughter, died. When Judah was comforted, he went up to Temnah to his sheep shears, and he and his friend Hira, the Adullamite, When Tamar was told, your father-in-law is going up to Temnah to shear his sheep, she took off her widow's garments and covered herself with a veil, wrapping herself up. And she sat at the entrance to Enem, which is on the road to Temnah. For she saw that Shelah was grown up, and she had not been given to him in marriage. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face. He turned to her on the roadside and said, Come, let me come in to you. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. She said, what will you give me that you may come in to me? All right, so here is the price. All right, here is sexual offer. And now we negotiate the price. He answered, I will send you a young goat from the flock. And she said, if you give me a pledge until you send it. 
He said, what pledge shall I give you? She replied, your signet and your cord and your staff that is in your hand. So he gave them to her and went into her, and she conceived by him. Now again, notice, he's still sexually immoral. She arose, went away, taking off her veil, and put on the garments of her widowhood. When Judah sent a young goat by his friend, the Adulamite, to take back the pledge from the woman's hand, he did not find her. And he asked the men of the place, where is the cult prostitute who was at Enam at the roadside? And they said, no cult prostitute has been there. So he returned to Judah and said, I have not found her. Also the men of the place said, no cult prostitute has been there. And Judah replied, let her keep the things as her own or we will be laughed at. Okay, more concerned about people laughing at him than doing what's right. You see, I sent this young goat and you did not find her. About three months later, Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has been immoral. Now, it doesn't matter that he was immoral, but she was immoral. Now, this is what you call double standards. Moreover, she is pregnant by immorality. And Judah said, bring her out and let her be burned. Now, isn't it fascinating, the double standard here? I mean, he's off having sex with a girl. It's all right for him, but if, she, but if the girl does it, it's not all right. That's not all right for either one. As she was being brought out, she sent word to her father-in-law. By the man to whom these belong, I am pregnant. Please identify whose these are, the signet and the cord of the staff. Then Judah identified them and said, She's more righteous than I, since I did not give to her my son Shelah. And he did not know her again. That's good. All right, that's good. When the time of her labor came, there were twins in her womb. And when she was in labor, she put out, put out a hand, and the midwife took it and tied a scarlet thread on his hand, saying, This one came out first. But as he drew back his hand, behold, his brother came out. And she said, What a breach you have made for yourself. Therefore his name was called Perez. Afterward his brother came out with a scarlet thread on his hand, and his name was called Zerah. Chapter 39, verse 1. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. Now the Lord was this Joseph, and he became a successful man. Now, remember, success as a slave, but he was a successful slave. He became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. The master, his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all he did to do to succeed in his hands. Here is the role of a professional. God with you and God caused all you do to succeed. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him and he made him overseer over all his house. So we have promotion and put him in charge of all he had. From the time he made him overseer in his house and over all he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake, not for the Egyptian's sake, but for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all he had in house and field. Now this is what a Christian professional should bring to every company.
people should see that you're a Joseph, that you bring the blessings of God to everything that company has. So he left all that he had in Joseph's care, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. In other words, he was macho. He had muscles, and he looked good. He had a nice face, and he had a nice body. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. So adultery always starts with the eyes. This is why pornography is so powerful. She cast her eyes. She's always watching Joseph. Cast her eyes. You got to watch your eyes, folks. Men and women, you got to watch your eyes. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything he has in my charge. Verse 9, He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And sin against God. Now, the brother didn't know that this was wrong, but Joseph did. So I want you to notice, older brother, sexually immoral, S-I. Ubuntu, he lived righteous. That's brothers. And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by the garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. Now, first thing, learn to read danger. Young men, young women, learn to read danger. If you're the only girl in a hotel room for a party with 15 guys, run, get out of there. It's called danger. If you're a young man and you know that this cougar has her eyes on you, you know that this boss at your office, she has her eyes on you and she wants to have sex with you, don't get yourself caught in the office when there's nobody else there. Learn to read the danger. Now, the other thing, he fled. I asked my grandpa one day, I said, Grandpa, you know, in, in this world, you know, there's all kinds of girls that want to have sex with guys. How can a guy live right? And Grandpa said, guys and girls both, there's, there's an answer. It's called the Joseph Principle. I said, what's the Joseph Principle? He said, run. Now, you have to learn that. Guys, there's going to be times when some lady's going to offer you sex. Run. Don't sit there and think about it. Don't sit there and try to be polite. Run. Girls, there's going to be boys that want to have sex with you. Don't sit there and think about it. Run. The only way that's going to, you're going to get saved in the situation is to run. Once those hormones kick in, once those emotions get going, uh, learn to run. As soon as she saw that he left his garment in her hand and had fled from the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. And he came in to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. All right, prejudice. 
prejudice is always used to beat you. He's a Hebrew. He's not an Egyptian. Please, folks, you're just going to have to understand that this is why I teach our people when we live overseas. Forget your Pinoy. Never forget your Pinoy. Okay? It's just a rule to live by. Because when you live as a minority someplace, your, your, your nationality will always be used to beat you. And you're not going to get fair treatment. She has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment behind me and fled and got out of the house. She is a liar. Then she laid up her up his garment by her until her master came home. All right, here's the proof. Now, folks, you got to understand. you got to be careful about people misinterpreting proof. And she told him the same story, saying the Hebrew servant, I noticed, the Hebrew. So here is nationality, and here is class. Both types of prejudice are used against him, nationality and class. Whom you have brought among us came in to me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled. Now, anger does not need truth to be aroused. Anger does not need truth to be aroused. He's been lied to, but the story is plausible. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison the place where the king's prisoners were confined. Now here's, here the destiny unfolds. And he was in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph, showed him steadfast love, gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done, he was the one who did it. All right, so again, he's success as a prisoner. So when he was a slave, he was successful. As a prisoner, he's successful. Success is not determined by your status in life. Success happens at where you are in life. Wherever you are in life, success will flow to you. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it. Not Joseph's ability. The Lord, not ability. It's not Joseph's ability that made it succeed. It was the Lord that made it succeed because the Lord was with him. Now, brothers and sisters, in life, there's a lot of horrible things that happen to you. But one of the things that you recognize about the anointing of God is that it always brings you back up on top. Whenever I teach you this passage in the services, I talk about the principle of the cork. No matter how far down under the water you push the cork, it pops right back up to the top. This is Joseph, because God was with him. Wherever you put him, he was successful. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship. Thank you. 
Our New Testament passage today picks up in Matthew chapter 15, beginning with verse 21. As Jesus went away from there, he withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. So this is up in northern Israel. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But Jesus did not answer her a word. Wow, so you got a question mark there. But now notice this is a Canaanite woman. 
And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she's crying out after us. He answered, I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. So Jesus is focused on calling. Now, there's a truth that you've got to get a hold of here. You know, I was talking with Pastora Sarah the other day, and she has all these invitations to run all over the place in the entire islands of Romblon, the whole area, okay? And I said, you know, what is your focus? What are you called to do? I said, let's build that church where you are. And then when you build that church where you are, then like the Apostle Paul, people can go out and evangelize the rest of it. That's what Paul's pattern was in Ephesus. But if you get so distracted and unfocused, you're not going to build anything. You're not going to accomplish anything. Jesus was extremely focused. He focused on the nation of Israel. That was his calling. But she came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to dogs. He said, now, you know, healing is the children's bread. Healing belongs to God's children. She said, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then he answered her, a woman, great is your faith. It will be done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Now notice, what was great faith? Great faith did not get all up in his face about, well, you're just bigoted and you're just prejudiced and you're this and you're that. Great faith just said, you know, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. She said, I'm not asking for what doesn't belong to us. I'm, I'm just asking for a little bit. Beautiful, beautiful story of, of great faith. Jesus went on from there and walked beside, and there's so much I could preach a whole sermon on that, I had to move quickly. Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee. Now he's coming back south. And he went up on a mountain and sat down. And great crowds, and, and you know, you have to understand everything around the Sea of Galilee is a mountain. All right? I mean, the, the Sea of Galilee is down in the bottom of all these mountains. So take your pick. And great crowds came to him, bringing with him the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them. So the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind being. And they glorified the God of Israel. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd, because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat, and I am unwilling to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. So Jesus cared about people he ministered to. He didn't just want the miracles. He cared about these people. He said, you know, for three days, they've been here with me. They've run out of food. And if they walk home from here, you know, they're not going to have the strength. And the disciples said to him, where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? And Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish, and having given thanks, he broke them. Now, let me just, I mean, there's just so much here. It's like the passage up here in the beginning, there, there's just so much there. How do we 
how do we begin to sort it all out? I mean, the thing on great faith, that's maybe two or three sermons right there. But I, I want you to notice he always, a miracle starts with what you have. What, what do you have? Moses, what is in your hand? A miracle always starts with what you have. The woman with, with the, the little bit of flour and the little bit of oil. The woman with a jar that could be filled with oil. I mean, you look at all the miracles in the Bible. It starts with what you have. And directing the crowds to sit on the ground. Okay, so let's keep order. Because when miracles begin to happen, people go crazy. He took the seven loaves and the fish and having given thanks. Okay, he prayed before the meal. Now, Jewish culture, people pray after the meal and give thanks. As Christians, this is one of the verses that we use to pray before the meal. Jesus gave thanks before he broke it, before he distributed the food to the people to eat, he prayed and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. All right, so we have delegated feeding. They all ate and were satisfied, and he took up seven basketfuls left over. God always provides more than enough. God never provides just enough. He always provides more than enough. And those who ate were 4,000 men besides the women and children. So 4,000 men besides women and children. So you're talking someplace between, oh, 8 to 12,000 people. Wow. After sending away the crowds, he got into the boat and went to the region of Magadan. Now, let's close out today with Proverbs, a little bit of wisdom. Proverbs chapter 4, beginning with verse 7. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. Okay, so wisdom and insight will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. If you embrace wisdom, if you embrace wisdom, she will exalt you and she will honor you, but you have to embrace wisdom. She will place a garland Place on your head a graceful garland. This is victory. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. This is leadership. These are the blessings of wisdom. Say, Pastor, where's the best place to get wisdom? Well, on your knees, because any man who lacks wisdom, the Bible said, let him ask and God will give to us richly without reproach. But also the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter one, talk to us about this is where purpose of Proverbs is to give us wisdom. This is why you should read Proverbs every day. All right, we'll see you tonight, seven o'clock for the evening service. The book of Romans, we continue.